Uh, when Pastor Craig asked me to, if I would be willing to speak today on the topic of light, um, I would say we both thought it was providential, right? It's one of those topics that where you know, say the topic and the preacher is a match made in heaven, right? Because for the last four years, um, I've been running around talking about light a lot, right? Whether it was in a missional communities or like the outreach that we had in East Van that we called by the name of FOS or the church that we're currently in the process of planting in the Langley City, Culverdale area that we also call FOS. What can I say? I really like the name. And I've been a part of leading a community with the name, this name, for the better part of four years. And so phos is the, is the ancient Greek word for light. So it was one of those things where the idea of preaching on light, pre, you know, and planting a community that is called light, and the idea is sharing the light of God. You know what I mean? It's, it's the light of Jesus. That, that's that's the, the heart of, of our name, of our community. And so, so, yeah. But at the same time, like, I know both Pastor Craig and I, we thought it was going to be one of those easy topics for me to preach on. Pastor Craig even commented, he's like, you could preach on this without any notes even, probably. And uh, it was like one of those, like, you know, those slow pitches, and it's like, Carl, you're going to knock this out. You got this. Um, or even like T-ball. Like, I'm going to make it really, really easy for you, right? And in some ways, it, it, it is easy. But on other ways, this has been a really, really, really hard message to prepare. Like, I don't normally throw out words like spiritually attacked but this is a message that I felt like I had to fight for, right? I don't know if there's anything profound in the words that I have to, you know, prepare to share today. But with the amount of resistance to this message that I face in preparation, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to all of us here today through these words, right? So I'm just going to open up with a word of prayer. And so, Lord, Jesus, I pray that in this, as we share this time, as I share this message that you've given me, that you will speak clearly to us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will move in our hearts and minds today, that you will give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And so today we're going to be speaking out of predominantly one, there's, there's one passage and, and a verse that kind of highlights all of it, and it's John 8:12, And it says this, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life, right? This is Jesus's big, bold proclamation, right? I am the light of the world, right? Have you ever tried to make your way to the bathroom at night, you know, in the dark, and you trip over something or you stub your toe? I've, I've done that way too many times to count. Like, my baby toe was crooked because of that, <laughs> right? And if I'm honest, right, um, it's usually accompanied by a few choice words that are better left unheard in the dark, if you feel me, right? And so light illuminates, right? It, it guides us. It helps to lead us, and it helps me not to cuss, right? And so light is, welcome, is, light is welcomed in the darkness by those who love the light, but light is not welcomed in the darkness by those who love the darkness, right? Jesus, so just try to, just try checking a text message during a movie, right? In a, you know, during a, in a movie, during a theater. Your phone is bright enough that everybody around you, you're going to see their hate stares as you interrupt their viewing experience, right? And this one time, my older sister, she got cussed out by, she got cussed out by this old man <laughs> because her phone lit up as she got a text message and she went to answer it. And this old man was furious as he was watching a movie, actually Fast and Furious, this older gentleman... <laughs> This older gentleman, well, he wasn't actually gentle, so I won't, I won't use gentleman to describe this guy, but this older man stood up in the middle of the theater and started yelling at my sister, right? And 
one must point out that his tirade was a bigger disturbance to the movie than my sister's phone ever was, right? But it highlights the fact that those who love the darkness do not love the light, right? And the light is not welcomed in certain places. And so my sister, she never said this out loud, but, you know, through sibling telepathy, I'm pretty certain this is what she was thinking. I hope this man trips and falls in the dark. (laughs) Then he will be begging me to turn my phone on. Right? Things look different in the light. When the movie is done and the lights come up, it reveals the ugly of a movie theater, right? The popcorn on the floor, the spilled drinks on the floor, the old man who tripped and fell on the floor, (laughs) right? Things look different in the light. Light reveals that which the dark desperately wants to conceal. Let me say that one more time. The light always reveals what the darkness conceals. Right? So if your house is clean and the lights come on, your house will still be clean. The light reveals that. Right? But if your house is filthy with junk all over the place, guess what? When the lights come on, it's still going to be filthy with junk all over the place. Right? The light will reveal what is already present. And the biggest difference between life in the light and life in the dark is that when the lights come on, you can actually see what's there. Right? I want Jesus' light to shine in my life to reveal my junk, actually, right? I want Jesus, the light of the world, to show me what lies in the shadows of my life, right? Jesus is shining his light in your life. It can be painful, right? It can be, but it's always going to be healing. It can be vulnerable, but it's always going to be reconciling. It can be embarrassing, but it's always going to be liberating, right? And Luke... Chapter 8, 17 says it this way. For nothing hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will, be, that will not be known and come to light. Right? So, right bef- so I would say like that verse is kind of like the summary of the way that Jesus sees our lives. Like we can try to hide stuff, and there's stuff that's actually hidden from us, things that are good things actually, revelation about our life, um, possibility and potential, all these different things. God is going to bring these things out. These things cannot remain hidden. These things cannot remain secret, right? What we'll call tonight, like, we're going to, we're going to lead into the story that actually leads into the passage that says, that where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? Right before Jesus makes his big, bold declaration about being the light of the world, there's a story that if you grew up in the church, is you're going to be really, really familiar with it, right? It's a story about a woman who was being used as a pawn by, in powerful men's games, You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, which was the sacred writings, which the Jews lived by, that were called the law of Moses, right? These were the important men of Jerusalem. They were powerful lobbyists, in a sense, who used manipulation and trickery to try to get their way in this story, right? Often, when religion and political power are bedfellows, you see manipulation come into play. And in this story, it's a story about power. Right? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus. And I'm just going to point out the obvious here. Right? In order for the woman to have been caught in adultery, in the act of adultery, there would have had to have been a man caught with her. But for whatever reason, patriarchy, this man gets a pass in this story, and the woman is brought in front of Jesus alone. They drag this woman in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd gathered around Jesus, and begin to tell Jesus the law of Moses commands that we stone such a woman as this. They conclude by asking Jesus, what do you say we should do? Let's pause for a second, and let's not skip over the violence of this passage, actually, right? Because stoning someone was a brutal, horrific way of killing somebody. 
they would bury the person in the grounds so that only their chest, mid-torso, was sticking out. They would one at a time take baseball-sized rocks and throw them at a person. And each person line up, would line up one at a time to take their turn throwing a rock at the condemned person's skull like a carnival game. Right? This would have been, this would continue until the person was obviously battered beyond recognition and was dead. And if that wasn't bad enough, they would leave the person's body partially buried, exposed to be eaten by dogs and birds. Right? This is what stoning entailed. This is a horrific thing that they are asking Jesus to comment on. They're asking Jesus to condemn this woman too. Right? And this is what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are bringing this woman to Jesus for. Now, they didn't come to Jesus out of deference or out of respect for Jesus, but rather to trick Jesus. Because you see, in their minds, this scheme only had two ways it could play out. Either Jesus would condemn the woman to death in accordance to the law of Moses, which was at the time actually illegal to do, um, because capital punishment could only be sentenced and delivered by the Roman Empire, which was the controlling power, actually, at the time of Jesus, right? And so if Jesus had condemned the woman to death, he would have been signing his own death warrant at the same time at the hands of Rome. The second option was that Jesus would let this woman go free, and in doing so, he would deny the law of Moses, which the teachers of the law thought would turn the crowds that had come to adore Jesus against him. Right, leaving him open to be assassinated by those in power in the dark. There were only two options that these rulers and teachers could imagine. But Jesus always goes and does the unexpected, right? He always does the thing that nobody saw coming. Jesus bends down and begins to write into the dust with his finger. I would bend down, but I got old man bones, and I ain't getting back up if I do. So, <laughs> so he bends down and begins to write with his finger. And he doesn't respond at all to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He writes with his finger in the dust instead. After a moment, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to continue to badger Jesus for an answer. Tell us what we should do. We demand an answer. Jesus stands up straight and says, let he. And remember, this is a crowd of men gathered around a woman wanting to kill her, right? Who is it? So let he who was without sin cast the first stone. He bends back down and continues to write in the dust. All those who heard the words began to drop their rocks one at a time and walk away. First, the older ones dropped their rocks and walked away. Then the younger ones dropped their rocks and walked away. Till all that was left was Jesus and this woman that was dragged in front of him for the act of adultery. What did Jesus write in the dust that made the bloodthirsty crowd dissipate? Maybe he wrote down their own sins. Maybe he wrote down a passage from the prophets about mercy. Who knows what Jesus wrote, right? But the result was that all of this woman's accusers, accusers scurried away. Jesus stands back up, and I imagine him helping the woman to her feet. Once standing, he asks her, who are those who condemn you? Where are they? Does anybody condemn you? And the woman responds, looking around in disbelief. No one, sir. And with that, Jesus tells her that neither does he condemn her. And he gives her some parting words. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. This is a story about a woman who had Jesus' light shine so brightly in her life 
that I, I, I would, it's hard to imagine that her life wasn't radically transformed from that moment on. We don't hear about the rest of her story, but it's impossible for me to believe that her life wasn't radically changed in that moment, right? The story immediately proceeds the passage where Jesus says, uh, is pro, sorry, it proceeds after this passage is the, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This story for this woman was painful, but ultimately healing. This story for this woman was isolating, but ultimately reconciling. This story for this woman brought her face to face, probably with her deepest fears of being exposed, but ultimately brought her courage. This story for this woman brought her to the deepest places of her insecurities, but ultimately she finds her security in Jesus. This story for this woman was embarrassing, but ultimately liberating. This story for this woman brought her face to face with a crowd that wanted to see her dead, and instead she walks away in the light of life. Could it be that Jesus wants to shine a light on the painful, vulnerable, shameful, broken parts of our lives? In order to bring healing, reconciliation, liberation, and wholeness to our lives? If your house is a mess in the dark, it'll still be a mess when the light is on. Light doesn't transform. It reveals what is already there. But here's the thing. When Jesus shines his light into your mess, it reveals what the darkness tried to conceal from you, right? But Jesus isn't content to allow you to wallow in your mess. He illuminates your mess so it can be cleaned up. I don't know about you, but I've had some messes in my life, right? And I'm so thankful that Jesus, for Jesus shining his light in, in such a way that my life no longer resembles the mess that it was. There are so many moments in my life where Jesus' light shone through, pulling me out of the darkness. And, and one of those stories comes about a year and a half ago when I, I entered into one of those moments. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm in the process of planting a church in the Langley-Cloverdale area called Phos. And as I said before, Phos is the Greek word in the Bible for light. And the, word, and the name Phos, it comes from Matthew's the Gospel of Matthew, the counterpart, this counterpart to this passage that we've been reading about and talking about today. And it's, it's, Matthew's version says this, though. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me say that one more time. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? This passage is a call for those who follow Jesus to be a reflection of Jesus' light into the world around us. We, the church, are the body of Jesus present in this world. Right? So if Jesus is the light of the world, our call can be no less than to follow Jesus and be in the light of the world as well. Right? And I've always described it this way, is that the church, this is a guiding metaphor to be the light of the world. It's a guiding metaphor for the church, who Jesus is the head of. The job of the church is to shine a light in such a way that it highlights the fact that God is already present and working in the world around us, in the lives of the people all around us. He's working in your life, your life, and your life, right? He's in working in my life. Regardless of whether we can see it or not see it, the job of the church is to highlight that point in people's lives, 
I think the job of the church is to make tangible that God is already present in people's lives, for them to experience God in a way that is revealing that which is concealed in their lives. Our job is to highlight that fact. It's the most painful and broken places. God is already present. And when the light is shone into those places, it's revealed that God is already there in advance. God is already working. God is already bringing about healing. God is already bringing about reconciliation. God is already bringing about restoration, already bringing about liberation. This is what happened in my own life a year and a half ago, September 2017 to be exact. Light was directed into the crevices of my heart and it revealed some nasty things that were threatening to steal the potential and calling that God had for my life. On a few different occasions, a few different things were highlighted. God used a friend, a preacher at a conference in Tacoma, and Pastor Craig to highlight some things in my life that God wanted to heal, brokenness that God wanted to make whole. It wasn't things that were necessarily, quote unquote, sin, but they were definitely things that were going to inhibit me from living out the full potential of what God was calling me to do. So long story short, like my own brokenness had been left to fester for a long time. Um, when you grow up in the church, like my mom's a pastor, I grew up in the church, you develop some wounds, unfortunately. And those wounds over the years had left me at a place where, okay, I, 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 didn't, I no longer realized I had wounds anymore. I was walking with them, put Band-Aids on them, thought they were good. And in the midst of ministry, in the midst of stepping into a season of hard ministry, of working with people who, that we call them spiritual nomads, people who have walked away from their faith, which is also part of my story, those wounds began to leak again. Those wounds began to bleed again. Those wounds began to be exposed again. And all of a sudden, I found myself... The pastor who hated the church, right? The pastor who was leading a community in ways that were antithetical to the body of Christ. We were saying, it's okay. in our brokenness, we're going to push off of the body of Christ instead of embrace it. Because in the body of Christ, in the, in the community, I think is where God is most tangibly noted for bringing wholeness in our lives. And it's the lie of the enemy in my own life that caused me to say, I'm going to push off of that instead, right? But God wasn't content to let me sit in my brokenness. Right? Instead, God began to reveal that which was hidden in the dark places of my heart. God began to reveal that which the enemy wanted to conceal in my life. And in revealing it, it created space for healing. Now, don't get me wrong, though, when I say this. September 2017 until about March 2018 was probably one of the hardest and most painful seasons of my life. Right? But I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade that season for anything. Because Jesus' light illuminated some things in my life. And repentance and forgiveness was instant in those moments, I believe. Like, soon, when, I, when I turned and I said, okay, I need to deal with this. I need, to, I need to repent of this. And I embraced the forgiveness that Jesus has already given us for these things. But it took me a good six months to clean up the mess that Jesus had revealed in my life. And for some people, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of envious sometimes where it's like, Okay, God reveals something, and like that, they're healed. Like that, they're restored. Like that, they find reconciliation, liberation. But for me, it wasn't instantaneous at all. It was months of sitting in the back corner over there and, and just being allowed to be present without, without being serving, without serving. Um, 
part of that season was that I was asked to put, I was asked to push pause on all the things that we were doing in the city at that time. And I couldn't know at that moment that what God was doing was actually closing a door that was causing me more brokenness and opening a door in order to create space to open a door for a new future. Right? And so after six months, I feel like it was like the, the, the woman that was caught in adultery. I look up and there's no one left to condemn me. Right? And like the woman caught, like, like the woman caught in adultery. But it took six months for me to no longer condemn myself. And so here's the reality is that Jesus has already dealt with your sin. Every single person in this room, Jesus has dealt with our sin. But sometimes it can take a minute for our brains to comprehend the reality, to understand that nobody is left to condemn you, and that Jesus is not condemning you, so you can stop condemning yourself. Right? And so it's this. So go now, like Jesus would say, and leave your life of sin. Go now and stop living in your brokenness. You don't have to be there anymore. God has liberated you from that. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is turning the lights on. And it can be scary, but it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Right? I believe that Jesus is shining his light on some messes in this room today. I believe that Jesus is revealing what has been concealed in darkness, not to condemn you, but to liberate you today. I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your pain for healing today. I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your isolation for reconciliation and community today. I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your shame for liberation and hope today. I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your fear for courage today. I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your insecurity for security today. And I believe that Jesus wants to exchange your brokenness for wholeness today. I don't know about you, but when I'm trying to listen to those words, there's a voice that goes in the back of my head that says, that keeps on accusing it regardless, that keeps on saying, you can say that all you want, but you're still condemned. Just to be honest, there's a voice that hits in the back of my head. It says that you're worthless. Somebody is actually condemning you. People are judging you. And I believe that Jesus is exchanging that voice that's, in, that's in, like in my head, I, I can't speak for everybody in the room, but I can just be honest about myself. That Jesus is exchanging that voice and whispering, I love you in his place. I do not condemn you. Do not believe the lie. Go now and leave your life of sin and follow me. Because if, we, if you follow me, you will no longer walk in darkness. You will always have the light of life. Right? These are the words of Jesus to this woman that was caught in adultery. And these are the words of Jesus to us here and now in this place. These are the words of Jesus, not just to us in this place, but to the whole world around us. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of start to wind down in this part now. So um, if the, the band wants to come up, that's great. Um, but the key to following Jesus or to allowing Jesus to be the light in our lives is following him, right? Because it says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so, at this time, I'm going to just ask everyone if they could bow their heads and close their eyes to create space for people around them to respond to Jesus right now.
If you're here today and you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I want to, be, I want to extend that invitation to you to do so now. If you feel something stirring in your spirit, respond to that prompting. If you want to walk in the light of Jesus, respond to that prompting. Even if you don't understand exactly what it means to follow Jesus in this moment, take a step of faith and trust that Jesus will meet you as you respond. Jesus is inviting you to go from darkness to light. Receive that invitation. And if you want to say yes to Jesus following, to following Jesus today, here and now, I would ask that you raise a hand. If you want God to be revealed in your life, then this is your moment to say yes to Jesus. You can go ahead and raise a hand. All I'm asking is that you give Jesus a chance and he will be faithful to reveal himself to you. I have yet to answer the call of Jesus and not see Jesus respond in kind. Go ahead and raise your hand. All you are doing when you raise your hand is you're taking a step of faith. You're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I'm trusting you to meet me in the midst of that. You're saying, I want you to shine your light in my life. I want to walk into the light and out of darkness. If that's you, I would say, go ahead and raise your hand. going to pray this together and if anybody is responding to that we can, just, we can all pray this together Lord Jesus I want to follow you I give you permission to come into my life today I'm making the decision to follow you from darkness into light from death into life I turn from my sins and I turn to you in the name of Jesus, I pray. I also want to give space to anyone who feels that maybe God is revealing something in your life today. That God is revealing something that's been concealed in your life, whether it, whatever that is, right? If there's pain in your life that God is revealing, he wants to exchange that for healing for you today. If you feel isolated in your life, God wants to exchange that for reconciliation and community today. If you feel like you've been bombarded by shame, God wants to exchange that for liberation today. If you've been dealing with brokenness in your life, God wants to exchange that for wholeness today. Lord, thank you for being the light of this world. Thank you for being the light of my life, the light of our lives. Thank you for revealing that which the enemy has tried to conceal in our lives. Lord, I repent, we repent. We turn from darkness to your light. Show us the mess and begin in me the cleanup. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.